Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Review Crew. It's not quite what we had planned for you, but we had some scheduling conflicts that came up with the uh, special edition of the show that we were going to be running tonight. So you'll get to listen to Laura and I discuss all about Arcane, that secret cinema's show happening in Los Angeles right now. And uh, we're just going to dive right into it. So we're probably not going to try to be like super heavy on spoilers, but there will be some uh, kind of throughout as we as we talk about the experience and what went into it. If you want a uh, summary of kind of what Arcane is and are not familiar with it, you can check out last week's Review Crew recording with Noah and a special guest where they um, went into their experience in uh, Arcane. And today, Laura and I are going to outline ours. So we're going to start with the registration process. So um, Laura, do you want to talk about how that worked for you? Yeah. So one of the reasons that we wanted to start with this is it wasn't, not only was it not actually covered in last week's review crew, which of course you cannot cover everything, but also it sounded like uh, Jennifer Zhang was the special guest and it sounded like um, she may not have known that there was a registration process. Um, And with Noah going as press, it sounds like, again, maybe that wasn't part of Um, what was explicitly offered to him. So Kevin and I went as um, kind of your average civilian participant, and we both went through the registration process. So we wanted to highlight that because it does have a real impact on the user experience. And in the course of getting various emails about the upcoming experience, you know, saying that your, um, your time is approaching fast, there was this offer to register. In the process of registering, um, you could potentially develop an alliance with one of five organizations within Zon and within this entire world of Arcane. And so, and it seems like that was something that was really missing for both Jennifer and Noah because they didn't really have set allegiances. And I certainly went in with an allegiance to an organization. I based my clothing around that. I based kind of a a loose character for myself around that. So it really was the launching point and really drove my overall experience. And so this was, like I said, initially done via email. And um, Kevin, you did, I, I realized that I should be clear here, you did also go through that whole process as well, right? I, I did. And I actually did the premium ticket, which I think was closer to what Noah experienced as the, there is a sixth faction technically. Oh, okay. And that's what Noah kind of referenced last week when he said the big bad. So if you go premium, you are automatically bumped to Silco's faction, a character from the show. And um, it, it asks you to wear blue. It kind of, there's some extra stuff there. So I don't think no matter how you kind of fill out the online form that's part of the registration path, it automatically bumps you into that crew instead of one of the other five that I think are kind of randomized based on how great like kind of people are in the in that showtime. And it sounds like you got bumped onto probably one of the five like generals of the Undercity, if I'm, if I'm guessing correctly. Yeah, so that's interesting. I didn't. I'd forgotten that we had. So I had a general admission ticket, and um, and there there was a slight questionnaire process. Um, but there was a, a moment where you could pledge your allegiance to one of the five organizations. And they outlined what those organizations, what their goals were, and sort of, you know, a little bit to what their methodologies might be or what their like internal culture. And then there was also what was called a um, kind of personality profile. And so you went through that process. Again, this was not lengthy, um, but so it was a combination of definitely. Um, 
you know, self-driven, my own interests. And then maybe there's a little bit of an algorithmic aspect to it. But I, the, the company that I wanted to be a part of, I was selected for. Okay. Yeah. Cause I didn't, I didn't even know you could like choose which one because you are automatically bumped on the, on the premium track into that other one. Mm-hmm. And then, um, kind of the effect that has, as you start the show is you do get a little scene with, with Silco at the beginning to kind of introduce you to it. And then there's another character down in here in his like little lair, which you have to either have a pin that comes with that track, or I think get the password to during the course of the show to get in that area. And then I'm not sure it has some material stuff because you're always kind of reporting back to him, but it does kind of function. He kind of then places you into like, hey, go work with these five people. So to get everyone back onto like the track of the actual show. Okay. So everyone is mostly, I think, dealing with the same stuff. There's just some extra like almost framing for the the blue Silco premium track. And did you, I guess what I would love to know about that, did you feel like that lack of agency did that bother you? Were you kind of happy that you were assigned? I mean, clearly you're getting this premium experience of um, getting to interact with Silco right away, which not everyone gets to. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was fun. I didn't mind it because it was kind of like the you're right away in like with a character that's pretty prominent in the show, and right. then um, it's kind of fun to have that kind of like oh, there's other people working here, and then so kind of I'll dive into a little bit of of how how that works too so they group you off and like a character comes and gets you before anybody else like gets in to kind of like walk that group in first and then she also introduces you and gives you like a small task before so i actually gone over and like talked to one of the enforcers before anyone was in in the show proper as a way to like find out that she's working for silco and that came into play later so there's some stuff like that 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 factors into it that i think made it more fun and it like opened some doors kind of in how you could play the game because you had that that allegiance to the character that a lot of people like were technically serving. Um, so that was that was interesting. I did enjoy that. I didn't mind that it was like forced into that one because it, okay. it was at least interesting. Yeah, okay. And I think in, in, in my case, I mean, I really enjoyed the fact that I could choose my alliance because I felt like having that agency provided an immediate on-ramp into mm-hmm. a kind of attachment and emotional investment. And again, then, I mean, then there's these aspects of, so I was part of Hush Company and Hush Company wears orange. And so there were things that were outlined in terms of the the infrastructure of the game of this live experience and how then, I, so I have these guidelines, I have these sort of regulations, if you will, but then I can build off of that. And so figuring out, you know, who my character, and one of the three um, questions was, um, how long have you been with the organization? And um, I immediately decided that I was going to say that I hadn't been with the company for very long, that it was less than a year. There was a mid-range and there was also like, you know, 10 years. And I was thinking about like why this could be strategically advantage. I could always play dumb that I don't know what the rules are. It would give me room to also shift my alliance if I decided to. So I'm immediately thinking about not even knowing. I'm not at the live experience yet. This is, you know, days before and I don't know what's coming, but I'm already potentially anticipating like what, where can I have wiggle room? Where can I leverage just even these initial three questions um, 
how can I use this to my advantage, even though I don't know, is it, was that going to be necessary? If so, within what contexts? So I think for me, those kinds of, you know, that kind of onboarding, that kind of, you know, the magic circle has already begun um, in terms of folding me into this world and my application of agency, what I want to bring to the table, how I want to explore, those wheels are already turning. And so I find that especially delightful. Yeah. And I think that's that's one thing too that Arcane and Secret Cinema in particular seem to have this pretty open to people that may not have experienced immersive theater, whether they came to it through the show, whether they came to it through it to the League of Legends game or just generally immersive theater, I think that probably lends it to be more accessible and it kind of does get people in that that headspace before you enter the show. You're kind of at least like thinking about something there. And then I want to go back to, you mentioned like kind of that emotional attachment. Did you did you have any experience or kind of exposure, exposure to League of Legends or Arcane or anything before you went into the actual show proper. Yeah, this is a good point for us to unpack and, and now is a great time to do it because again, some differences with Jennifer and Noah, and I think this will also tie into so many things that we discuss from here on out. So I really didn't and still don't know anything about League of Legends. I had no attachment, no prior knowledge. I mean, still don't have a lot of knowledge, but I, as I mentioned in a past review crew, I had gone to the Stranger Things drive into, which was a um, collaboration between Secret Cinema and Netflix and Fever. And I am a huge Stranger Things fan, have watched all seasons, have you know, uh, rewatched various episodes. And I thought that that was so exceptionally well designed and executed. And so I, I had, I was looking forward to having, my main draw was a chance to experience what I understood Secret Cinema was doing predominantly in the UK. And I had not yet watched Arcane. Um, I had only loosely heard anything about it. And I did not, I, so I bought a ticket to this secret cinema experience before I even watched episode one of Arcane. And I'll say that uh, because Jennifer explicitly went in without any prior knowledge at all, so no registration and she hadn't seen the show. I did watch the first two episodes and I do wish that I had understood better where this live experience fits into the show. I do think there were still a couple of things that I didn't know that I would have loved to have known. Um, but so, I also went in with some knowledge, which was so helpful. Cause yeah. Cause I think that's interesting. Cause it, the, the, where it starts on the bridge sequence, it very, like it plays a bunch of scenes out through the show, which runs, I watched about through episode four and I had some exposure to the game. I have like, I haven't played it in oh, five, 10 years at this point. Um, <laughs> So I, but I was like familiar with at least the characters and like some of that, and that doesn't really play into it. It's much more based on the show. So like I was saying, the, the scene on the bridge, it, it recaps a lot of stuff very quickly for about the first three episodes. And I think if you miss that third one, it probably does is a bit confusing as it drops you in after that sequence and kind right. of the show jumps for a few years and, and people are in different places and it, if, if you don't understand what the flashes are, and I don't know if you would make sense of them if you had not seen the show, like, because it plays out very quickly and there's a lot of things happening. It's large and loud and it's like, you're still acclimating to the experience. So I was wondering how that played. And it sounds like it it was a little confusing 
um, kind of where you were in the in the world of the show? Well, I definitely noticed. I was like, oh, that hasn't happened yet. So there were mm. things that I saw that I knew those narrative threads. And then I realized, oh, here's some narrative threads that I have not yet seen in the animated show. And I was because I did have that contextual framework, I was able to be like, okay. But then because that was just a montage, when people during the live show were responding to, were saying things like, go find Jinx's hideout, I was like, who's Jinx? Hmm. Because I only know Powder <laughs> as Powder, this young girl, and not then as this woman she becomes named Jinx. So mm-hmm. there were moments where I had to either uh, just not worry about like, okay, I don't know who that is, but I'm still going to go on this mission. Or I'd ask someone or um, one thing I know that um, you and I had briefly cited before, and I think this might actually be a good way to segue into it, was how this, um, Noah and Jennifer touched on this a little bit, but specifically how this experience based on its relationship to the animated show, but it's also its own standalone experience, how this either drew people out in different ways or kind of kept them or they kept themselves on their own tracks and what their goals might have been. So for example, you and I both went with people and I pretty much from the beginning, even though my partner and I, we went together and we were part of the same company. We registered completely independent of one another and both wound up picking Hush Company. And, but then very quickly, I was completely ready and excited to go off and explore on my own. And I think that there's some interesting things as we all kind of cite, um, Sleep No More is such a a paragon in the industry. And and, um, I I think that, having had experiences like that years ago where you start getting really comfortable at, or, you know, some people may start getting very comfortable at going off and having their own experience and how this drives you to discovery. And Noah had mentioned in last week how, um, this, this experience really rewards curiosity. And I think that's worth unpacking a little bit further. And so I do think that going in, even when I realized very quickly, oh, we're at a different time point in this overarching narrative, I had no issue being like, I'll just wing this. So that wasn't a problem for me, but I it, I think it slowed me down a bit. Yeah, I don't, I think it does a fairly good job of, even if you haven't seen the show or not familiar with it, like getting you into at least the basic world and like the concepts that you're playing with and like the idea of like how the game of Arcane works and how it how the game of like the arcane show works right the immersive show not the television right (laughs) um so yeah so i i went with someone who who was familiar with both the show and the game he had watched all the episodes but he's not very familiar with immersive theater and so before we as we were driving over there together i asked him i was like do you want to stick together or do you want to go off on your own i just he's not familiar with it i didn't want to like immediately ditch him if he if he was then gonna be lost and so he was really like, no, like, let's just kind of stick together and like kind of do the same stuff because we're on the same same track and everything. So I think it, it is open to kind of people who aren't familiar with immersive theater in that way. But then I think some of the, and I think we're kind of now 
can jump into kind of what works and what doesn't. So like I said, we were Silco, so he enlisted us to go talk to a specific character. Um, Nix, I think, or no, the, the faction was Nix, Margo was the character. So he sent us to go talk to her and we kind of, you could pick up the pieces and essentially play with her for a little bit, but it felt like she was stonewalling and not kind of like guiding us along the path of the show and how to play it a little bit, which was frustrating um, from kind of a gameplay perspective. How do you mean? I'm not sure I understand exactly what you mean by that. So he asked us to go like get information from her and we went to talk to her and she was kind of like very plain coy about a lot of stuff. And it was kind of like, I don't know what to do with that, that information. You can, you're kind of freewheeling and like, but everybody else is pretty like beginner friendly and prompts you to go do something specific. And she wasn't. Uh, okay. So we kind of were, okay, now we're going to try and go try and do some things. And we were kind of running around trying to find the shimmer, which is, is hard to find. And it's, I think there's a lot of people and there's a lot of crowd action going on. We are trying to get the same thing. So there's some problems there. And I think it, it created, I think he was growing a little frustrated with it too. And kind of like, well, he wanted to like play, but it's like, it felt like we were kind of stuck and almost in some ways, like, like a, like a video game where you're going back with NPCs and you're not sure what to do. It was very much that experience. So I'm curious what, if you felt any of that or how you kind of played when you were in the space. Yeah. So I think that um, one thing that's, I think, good to bring in at this point is, um, uh, Jennifer, in last week's recording, I, I hope I've got this right. Jennifer was able to get into, yeah, she was able to get into like Jinx's hideout mm-hmm. and that there was this, you know, um, escape room aspect to that space. So this was a secret space. Not everybody got to explore it or knew that it was there. And then there was kind of this escape room aspect. And um, I wound up going pretty early on. Um, so I was sent on a couple of missions and right away I was given a mission to go get shimmer. And I felt like it worked exactly as it needed to, because what I mean by that is the head of one of the heads of hush company told me to talk to someone. So I'm talking to an NPC, there's interaction. You're kind of exploring, okay, who are these other characters who, you know, as they're embodying characters from the animated show, but like, who are they here and how am I going to interact with them? And that was a really delightful through line for me throughout the whole two hours. And then that, um, that was Nova and Nova gave a um, cryptic enough instruction to go get shimmer, but I was able to, with a, a small group at that point, there were four of us, we were able to get it pretty quickly and it was exciting and it was, it felt like it was challenging enough to um, press these two kind of hidden bricks in different parts Mm -hmm. of uh, the space and open up a secret passage and get shimmer. So we felt like, you know, immediately we're getting this hit on, um, you know, the success of navigating this, this puzzle that's not super complicated, but she left it open-ended enough that we felt like it was enough of a challenge. So that was great. But then the next mission for me actually took me into the lab. Um, did you wind up going into that space? When you say the lab, what do you mean? Um, so where the um, it was actually presented as the um, uh, Hextech uh, 
Hextech Tunnel, but it was then sort of like the, um, uh, it's not Silco's lab and all of that, but it okay. is. Um, then no. So actually, I, I'll kind of jump in here. So yeah, yeah. we kept finding that that brick puzzle is like the main way to get Shimmer. That was like a constant, almost like line of people there. Oh, point, okay. Yeah, so that, that was, I think, part of our roadblock too, is we couldn't get Shimmer to like move things forward with anybody because it was it was almost like a line of people waiting to do that puzzle and wait for it to refill with with the canisters. That's interesting. Okay. So then something that happened, we have someone we were kind of wandering around the space and we walked back towards where you come in and there's a security guard there sort of in character sort of not like don't come this way. Later we found out, I think once everybody is filtered into the space, you can actually get back to the bridge and there are two separate puzzles for shimmer in that area. We didn't know about it. We couldn't get back. Like when we got blocked off from going there in the first place, we didn't try to go back over there again, which was to our detriment because it might have, there were much fewer people over there and it might have opened up the game for us in terms of that. Okay. So I, I wonder if the Hextech Lab is over in that direction. I'm not really sure. Um, kind of finish your track and then I'll, I'll talk a little, little bit how we kind of stumbled on some other stuff. Yeah, but I think this is an interesting point around one thing that I did notice is we're kind of unpacking like what didn't work and what did work. And I do mm -hmm. think like some of these are just the limitations of the space yeah, and of, of the design. I did notice at times that there were stage managers or stage hands who were retrieving the shimmer mm -hmm. to try to re, I guess, you know, refill it in other places. And so I didn't clock that there were people waiting by those, you know, different decoy bricks and to, to kind of continuously do that throughout the night because I'd already done that. So it's interesting that there was essentially a queue to complete that puzzle. And I do think these are limitations, again, of, of the space where I don't have any sort of you know, immediate solution to this of how do you, A, not reveal that you've got... Uh, stagehands who are trying to move around these canisters. Um, and and I did notice that, and I tried to then just put it out of mind, because obviously anytime you're breaking that in-world, out-of-world membrane, it, it can be frustrating or it can sort of deflate a bit. Um, so I do think that was a huge challenge for them, given the space. And the um, this lab that I'm referring to, it was sort of... Um, between the bridge and then the main playing space, there was a tunnel mm -hmm. that was dark and, you know, kind of illuminated with a little bit of uh, colored light. It was near there. But the point that I wanted to make about it was that it wound up being an escape room type, similar to what Jennifer was saying about Jinx's hideout. It wound up being an escape room type uh, situation. And to me, what was so interesting, because I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have around what were the problems with these shimmer quests? You know, we've got shimmer quests. That's the core part of the, um, that's like the overarching quest is that people are these, you know, five teams or essentially six teams are trying to get shimmer and, and get the most amount of shimmer. So that's the overarching goal for everybody. But what was so interesting to me is that when I did this sort of sub quest that has this escape room vibe to it, that puzzle I felt like was my least favorite part of the experience because hmm. that went nowhere. So we did solve the puzzle in the room. And yet to me, there was no tangible result. I didn't really get any new information that I could apply anywhere. 
um, unless I miss something, but I don't, I didn't use anything I gained in that room later. And there was no tangible result like getting shimmer. So I actually felt like that was a sidetrack that for me offered the least amount of value. And, and yeah. Were there, were there characters in there with yes. you or who, who the, was in there? Uh, yeah. There was one NPC and that was Arrow and Arrow was part of, um, I keep the wanting to call lights. them. I, I keep wanting, I have to remember who the, um, the different companies are and she was part of, I was slick jaws. I always want to say okay. slack jaw. She was part of slick jaws. Okay. Yeah. So I think cause there's, there's also like a bunch of sub factions kind of running around with the firelights who come into the show after, after you've watched kind of in the future time jump. And I, there's some separate thing with those guys and they all have like kind of full face masks on. Um, and that's interesting. Cause I, I know, I think Jinx is obviously, I think in her hideout, it sounds like, I think, the Vi character is also running around. So I was wondering if right. like, you kind of interacted with them in there. No, I never interacted with them. And, and I think that, um, so I think this whole issue around with the experience design around like the quests and how, and the, I think that the, the way that it worked best for me was I didn't mind that here's this overarching goal, try to get as much shimmer as you can for hush company. That was my goal. And, um, I felt like that was clear, um, and I felt like that was a great way to anchor my all of my actions throughout the course mm -hmm. of the two hours. And then I filled that with, as Noah and Jennifer rightfully pointed out, I thought the casting was fantastic. I thought the performers were so wonderful. They are um, you know, I improvising with everyone. They're having to navigate these incredibly complex um, timeframes of, again, where and when is the shimmer refilled in these different parts? How are they managing the crowds? There were people who were uh, potentially just coming over to be nosy, or some of them were more strategic in how they were switching their alliances. So the performers are having to juggle so much. And I thought that they did a fantastic job because sometimes also I'd come back and I'd say, I couldn't complete the mission because here's what happened. So there's so many moving parts that they are navigating. And I thought they all did an incredible job of that. Um, and I think, so, yeah. so kind of you mentioned like going back to something like I'm stuck essentially, or I couldn't complete something. So that was right. kind of how I ended up on what I thought was the most interesting part of the night. So the, the enforcer that I'd met like very early in the evening, who I knew was connected to Silco at some point she was standing around. I was like, Hey, Silco needs me to do this thing. Can you help me? And she was working with another pretty large group of people. And she's like, I, I will, I'll be right back. I have to go handle this other problem. So we kind of stood around for a few minutes and then she came back and I was actually then linked up with her and like a kind of small group of people for the rest of the night. And she helped us try to get shimmer. And then she actually has this whole kind of plot line that she goes through where someone realizes that she's connected to Silco. So she has to plant evidence on another enforcer. And then eventually you go out with, her and that enforcer and Marcus to the bridge. And there's a whole conflict there where I think depending on the, the people that are with those characters, you can kind of try and push them. So it's like one of them, I think gets arrested. So we successfully kind of like protected our enforcer. And then the, the honest one ended up like getting tossed in jail for a while. And then we were kind of working with her. She's like, I have to go get shimmer from all these other people and get it back to Silco. So like, come with me and like point it out. 
And then you can kind of like stand in people's way if they were carrying Shimmer and point it out. And like she would grab it from them because they have to give it to the enforcers. And then she would give it to you. And like we kind of go back to to Silka with that. So that was really engaging. It's like started playing it more like a true sandbox and like playing with a character instead of playing the overall game. Yes. And and I think that that is so for me, I even though I was driven around how can I get Shimmer, where can I get it? I was so, the the ultimate driving force for me was all of the interaction. I did have, and again, this is such a testament to the writers and the performers and the casting. There were so many moments where I would go back to a character, I'd go back to an NPC and I'd say, I can't, it's gone, I try, or I, you know, I got caught or I need a new mission mm-hmm. or whatever. And um, uh, there was a actor playing Jax and he did such one such a wonderful job of again kind of course correcting based on I'm just one person um and did such a great job of kind of course correcting in a way that's not just okay how do I give this person you know in I'm speaking as him like him mm-hmm. thinking how do I give her a new mission how do I how do I redirect her energy or redirect her focus? And it wasn't just that. He did it in such a way that then I wanted to deepen my relationship with him. Yes. I think I, that's a great way of like putting it and thinking about it. And I think that that is, I can understand any frustrations that folks might have had either just around like um, confusion around a mission or feeling like, okay, I, I didn't get to complete it in a way that did sometimes feel like a bug. Because again, Noah and Catherine, or I'm sorry, Noah and um, Jennifer broke down kind of what felt like a bug and what felt like a feature and back to like similar to sleep no more. I definitely think it's a feature that I certainly wanted to go back now that I have all this information and I'd love to, and I've even thought, well, what if I went back, would I go back as hush company again and try harder or would I go back as someone else? Would I go back and as a different company, but infiltrate for Hush Company, like all these other things where I thought I've immediately come up with five different scenarios of why I could go back. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and you are going back, which I, I think did. is, I, yeah. I did buy another t- <laughs> ticket because I had a lot of fun. And I think, so this is one of my things with, with sandbox shows too, is I think, I think they're great. I do think there's like a learning curve and you almost, it, not even FOMO, but it just like, by the time you end the first experience, you figured out how to like, play the game of mm-hmm. a sandbox experience and it really does reward going back i think there's some things with that around like monetary cost and like the escalating way that kind of escalates but it, it's true here too it's like by then it was like oh okay like i know what i would do now and like how to work the show a little bit more to like get the most out of it in the way that i like to enjoy an immersive experience and especially one that is in the sandbox format um, so I, I get what you're saying because yeah, I, I was like, do I want to go back? Do I want to go back? I was like, yeah, I do. It was fun. Like, we haven't had a show like this in LA in a while, and this is a really good example of one in terms of, like you said, the set is the set is great. The the experience, I, they cram a lot into a relatively small space. It mm-hmm. looks like the show. It feels like the show. The characters and the the actors, I think, like you said, do a great job of working with people and bringing them in. I think. One thing we kind of noticed we were, as we were chatting about this a little bit before is how well they work the crowds in terms of bringing, they're dealing with anywhere from like two to six to eight people at a time. And I think right. they do a really good job of bringing, engaging all of those people and like bringing them together and trying to get them to do something or different things. Um, and yeah, all these actors are doing it throughout the whole show. And it's a really like, 
don't know how it's like built out or planned or structured, but it, it works pretty seamlessly once you're like in the groove of it and like working with the, the characters and the, throughout the space. Well, and so here's where I think this is a good segue because here's what I'd like to open up at least briefly, because this is a big thing. And so we can't unpack all of it, but so there were people who I overheard as either we're standing in line or we first got into the space that they were like, I'm just here to drink. I'm just here to have a good mm-hmm. time. And, um, and Noah touched on this a little bit too. And so the, the reasons why people may be going, first of all, again, their relationship to, um, League of Legends, their relationship to Arcane. Have they seen any of the animated show? Do they know anything about secret cinema? So there's a lot of things of like, what are people bringing to the table in terms of their, um, kind of the contextual details. Then there is um, the registration process. Again, do they feel invested already? And then what are their goals of the experience itself? And how do those shift? How do those shift over the course of the two hours and afterwards? And what I was so surprised to discover um, is that after going to the live show, after having this experience with Secret Cinema's activation, I tried to watch the animated show and I have lost interest. Hmm. All I want to do is go back to the live show. I want to interact with the characters as embodied by those performers. I want to feel like, again, I'm in the world. I mean, this is the, we know this is the goal to have this immersion. So it deepens your relationship. But what's funny is it's deepened my relationship with those performers and this particular live activation. And it's actually um, sort of deflected my interest in the sh- in the animated show, and so I think it opens up larger questions around. Uh, one of the things that Leah Davis pointed out in last week's recording, she cited um, Giant Spoon and um, HBO's South by Southwest World uh, from I think that was 2017, and um, you know how do these like I think it might have been it was Leah or Noah that were, that were then kind of describing these as like, you know, a pop-up or a temporary LARP theme park. And what do you, what can you do with these things? I mean, can these potentially, I guess I'm, I'm trying to highlight, like, where do we think the industry is potentially going? What is the value of these? Because Noah had said, will they bring this to other markets as a way to launch season two of Arcane? Because the Netflix show came out, uh, you know, at least some time, I don't know the exact time frame, but at least some time before this live activation. Well, and so, no, so that's, and that was the weird thing with this one, I think kind of going back to your point a few minutes ago, yeah. is that the, I think tickets were sold for this show before anybody had seen the actual, like the animated show on Netflix. So oh, like, is that right? I'm going to pull up, because I got a ticket right away because of Secret Cinema. I'm going to pull up when I bought my ticket. Yeah, because I know that's why I bought the ticket too. It's like, oh, it's, it's Secret Cinema and in North America and LA specifically. So it's like, right. I definitely want to kind of experience it regardless of the, of the world. And it's like, I don't know anything about this. So it's, it's open to kind of like possibilities. I bought it specifically on the strength of that name rather than the arcane or league of legends brand. And I know there are almost certainly people in that line. Right. That were like decked out in like league of legends stuff that had come through it from that Avenue. And I think that's kind of in terms of opening up the show, like immersive space and things is, yeah is bringing those like 
fans of the IP rather than fans of immersive theater. Right. And that's certainly like a larger platform than I think the LA scene for, for immersive theater is. And I want to jump in and confirm that you are correct. So I actually bought my, and I think you must have been done mm-hmm. the same. I bought my secret cinema tickets on October 13th. And this says that, um, arcane netflix that the release date was november 6th so yeah yeah and i think i think the show started before even like all the episodes were out or like around the day like the third set of episodes dropped too so it was like this was a very almost backwards way of of doing it in terms of like secret cinema's normal things which i think build on the backs of of an existing ip whether it's james bond or stranger things um or dirty dancing i know that yeah. they yeah 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 um, some ip that is quite old like is not necessarily even recent yeah and yeah so i think it's 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 an interesting way to kind of do it and it's clearly had some some popularity here even in la with with kind of the covert restrictions and all of that too that people are are interested in going to something based on this and i'm sure people came to it after the show had debuted and had a chance to watch it, but people were hungry for something like this because it was it was packed the night I was there. Um, Same. You went last Friday night, correct? I did, yes. I went to yeah. the last show on Friday. Yeah, and I went to the last show on Saturday, and it was also packed. And so I think what's interesting is, like, again, do, like, or I guess, I don't know, what is your hot take on, because I think there's real evidence to show, like, how is this... N- I think experiential marketing has been shown to be incredibly effective in different ways. And do we feel like we're now starting to evolve? Because I do feel like there's been sort of two tracks. There's, you know, sort of been this experiential marketing track. And then we have these, and and not that uh, Punch Drunk, you know, had a crystal ball and could see that Sleep No More was going to be this incredible success that was going to continue for so long. Um, But I guess I'm wondering if we're going to start to see a little bit more of a blending in that these types of activations, are we going to have more of kind of established LARP theme parks and maybe the, you know, sort of a bridge between like Disney World and Sleep No More, where maybe there's a rotation between what is, you know, what is the content, but that there's there's these kind of LARP theme parks that don't, they're not just pop-up activations because the secret cinema, I, I mean, I do really feel like more and more people would continue to go beyond, it closes, I think the 19th of this mm-hmm. month. And then there's people in other markets that would really love to go to this. Yeah. Cause I know, I know I, I went, I'm going back relatively quickly because I had to, but I think if this had extended into to January or something, it'd be like, oh, like maybe I'll get more people and I can go back then too if I want to like hit it a third time or if I just wanted to save my my second trip for later. And I, I do wish it had it, like we had something semi-permanent like this in LA because it's, right. it's fun to go to a sandbox show and just like get that immersive kind of high of like running around and being in the world and and I think as you kind of point out, like this one is something that's unfamiliar to, to you, but you want to you want to keep going back into that that space and like playing the game, interacting with these characters and finding these tracks and like learning more about them. So it does seem like there's there's certainly a market for this. And I think if it had continued past the holidays too, and more people had, had a chance to watch the show and are probably more available, like 
this feels like something that had it could have had a long tail outside of i think noah mentioned that the space is being it is a sound stage and will be used for shooting in the future right but if this had kind of stayed up for two three four months like i'm sure people would have kind of continued to go back to it especially as like more and more people find arcane or like leah said like maybe she's out on la over the next like three months and it's like yeah i want to do that right and i think that there i, I think that in terms of the revenue streams and how does this, um, again, you know, kind of what are the goals? I, I think this is such an example of a really exceptional production that goes so far beyond just experiential marketing. This is, you know, I think I think there can be an un, unfairly projected connotation around just, you know, pop-up or activation, just those those words. And this is so thoughtfully designed. The production design, as you cited, like it's just top notch. And again, the, the writing, the directing, the performing, I think everything that they're handling, it's so well done. Um, and I mean, I played around with the, you know, bartenders and it, there wasn't, I will say there was one security guard that I did try to play around with. And um, he was in his role as a security guard. And so there was a moment of an in-world, out-of-world disconnect between us mm. because I was being in-world and he was not. Um, but in general, there was so much room to play and it was yeah, so even, artfully done. Even the t-shirt guy was like, I was I was talking to oh. him asking for him for information. And he, I was like, do you have, and he's like, yeah. And then he like gave me, listed off a bunch of stuff. And I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't expect that to happen. Like, oh. That's really interesting. Yeah. And so those those layers um, and that level of detail, that attention to detail and the enthusiasm, the commitment. Um, and so I think that, uh, yeah, I wish that there were more. I, I, I'm just hoping that the industry does start to build more of a bridge between these established theme parks like Disneyland and then these established immersive th theatrical productions like Sleep No More and that we can have a rotation of content and creators and producers that it really builds up for people to develop their relationship with immersive. And then there's more opportunities for, again, all these different like hybrid models and how we can just keep pushing innovation uh, just across the board. Yeah. And I, I do probably feel like this is this is somewhere where like kind of the future of immersive theater will go because it is if you have that netflix backing you have that riot games backing you have that that backing it lets you put on these bigger shows that can run for longer um i know la it's like typically shows run for anywhere from like two days to to four weeks like they don't run very long it's hard to get into these things which means it's also hard to get more people into immersive things on the whole, if you can't bring, if you're like, oh, I went to this cool show, but it's closing in like two days and like all the tickets are sold out. It's like, you're out of luck. Right. This, this, it is ending sooner and not running for as long as I think probably people would hope. But I think it, it's also very accessible in terms of being like, um, do you like, this is how you're going to get people into immersive theater. Like my friend, it was like, do you want to buy the premium ticket for the the immersive show based on Arcane. And he, he'd done Delusion with me one year prior. And that was his entire experience. And he's like, yeah, sure. Like, I'll do the premium ticket. Like, it's cool. Let's do it. And I think it's a way to bring more people in to the space as a whole. Right. And I know it's like, it's like, oh, it's all getting like corporatized or whatever. But I think it's, I think there's always going to be space for the kind of cool, unique, artsier shows. But there's also clearly a space for this. Like, I don't, both of us had a ton of fun at this, at this show. 
So I think it's, it's where's that kind of blend and how will we kind of see that evolve um, going into the future of immersive entertainment? And, and yeah, back to what you're saying, it's hard to call this like a marketing experience or like an activation because it is, it's very lovingly crafted. Like they put a ton of work into this. The actors are all on board and they do a great job of getting the, the audience on board too. Yeah. And I don't think that the, um, I guess what I, to clarify, like I, I don't want people to feel like, Ooh, experiential marketing. I think experiential marketing can be, I, I mean, I think this is a great example of incredibly well-crafted, exceptional experiential marketing. I, I, and I want then there to be more of a, like I'm saying, more of a bridge because this production, uh, clearly, I mean, I don't have any numbers, but this production, um, this was not inexpensive. So I recognize that there are a lot of limitations around experiential work in general, not just experiential marketing. Um, and where can these different brands um, and organizations that do have the financial backing for that, again, how can how can there be, I guess, a little bit more unification around, okay, even if there's something that then, uh, even if there's a permanent space that offers just a bit more of a pipeline around testing for, again, whether it's entertainment uh, or you know, tech companies, how can we have, there was an activation years ago that was done by Delta and it was in accordance with um, the TED conference in Vancouver. And, and these are things that they're great case studies. And I just think if we could have everything less siloed, um, both across industries and then also across space and markets, I think that then all of this could, it could be more of a hub and sort of more of a, um, you know, an incubator where we can drive the different industries and we can drive the different formats of experiential. And I mean, yeah, I just think like this, there was so much room and space at this activation for so many people Mm-hmm. Whatever their relationship was to Arcane, League of Legends, just gaming in general, immersive theater in general, you know, even for the people that just wanted to socialize, the impression I got was that everyone had an amazing time. And maybe that's not actually true. Maybe there were some people that were bummed and confused and frustrated. But I think we're seeing how while the goal, while people's individuals, individual goals might be varied that you can actually tick off so many different boxes in a way that's also really profitable and really creative. Right. And I think that kind of goes, oh, we keep bringing up sleep, sleep no more because it's hard not to <laughs> in discussions around this because it's so seminal, but it's, you, you made a lot of points about kind of like people could do a lot of stuff at this show, whether it was where you just want to hang out, grab a drink and like watch stuff play out, whether you wanted to just kind of browse and see the set or watch other like people watch essentially. And that's, that's very much like sleep no more's model too, where you can go like, you can go really hard in that show or you can kind of like amble around and look at the papers in one room for like two hours, or you can just like sit at the bar and like watch it like other show and get a drink and then like wander into, into the sleep no more for 45 minutes and have a good time. And you can do all of those. You can go back and you can do each one of those different sort of tracks that you just outlined. And yeah, I think more shows that kind of allow stuff like that will make it more accessible to people because it's like, even no matter what you're coming in from or how you've come into it, like there is something for you to do. And I think that's really important to kind of 
open this up to a wider audience instead of just kind of like some shows in LA where it's like, yeah, it's like, I don't, you have to go hard to get the most out of it. And it's like, right. it's like one-on-one -on -one the whole time. And if you're not ready for that, you're not ready for it. Like some people are not into that kind of that level of immersion. And this one allows you to kind of be like an onlooker, lightly immersed or to like, some people were going like, there were some like really intense people on there and like the winning team for our show that were like kind of up on the bridge as they like announced it, they were just had been playing and they were clearly so into it. It's like, that's cool. Like I don't, you're probably not like an immersive theater fan. You probably came to this from something else and you're having a blast. Like, right. So the swimmers, cool. right. That, um, that analogy of, you know, the swimmers, the waiters, the deep divers, and this, I thought this really allowed space for all of them. And I, and I felt like because of that, I actually wound up going in deeper than I anticipated. I, I was thinking I was going to go in, I was going to wait around. You know, I didn't have as much of an attachment to Arcane, the animated show, or again, no attachment to League of Legends. And because of the experience design and the production design, I wound up becoming, you know, I, I sort of ditched my partner and I became all in, in terms of like, I became a deep diver and I was like, I'm going to milk every part of this for all that it's worth. And it was, it, it was so thoroughly satisfying. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a great way to kind of like wrap this up is, is that it is, it's, it's no matter kind of what level you want to experience on it, it is, it's a satisfying experience. Again, yes. I was, I was frustrated through part of it and then I walked away and then was like, I'll buy another ticket. Like, <laughs> so it, it's definitely doing, I think a lot right. And the, there are small problems, but there's, there's always problems with like a sandbox show. Like people walk into sleep no more and get frustrated because you don't, you miss the scenes. Like it's kind of the nature of the beast, but this right. one, I think, it is a smaller space. So you're definitely like able to engage without like missing anything because they, they drop you right into it. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a good time. I wish it were hanging around longer or it does kind of come back in some version when, when arcane season two comes out, like there's a lot of potential with this. And I think because it isn't like, so tied to like a, like a nostalgic IP or like something like that, like a huge one that it works and allows the space to like kind of tell these other stories that like, kind of fit within the world of the show but aren't necessarily like so tied to it either. right yep i totally agree and that's it for this week's episode of the review crew big thanks to kevin gossett our la reviews editor and laura hess our arts editor for sharing their thoughts uh as kevin noted at the beginning of the show we had a different kind of episode as planned this week but uh, there were some uh, technical difficulties going on with uh, the program we were going to go see, so we uh, scuttled that, and it just so happened that, uh, that they had a, an episode-long discussion about Arcane, uh, and uh, I'm telling you that uh, before I've even had a chance to listen to it, so... Uh, you, you, the, the me you hear right now knows less about what you just heard, uh, than you do. And I'm looking forward to, uh, checking out the episode and, uh, we'll probably be discussing this again soon enough, uh, as we get into our end of year, uh, discussions here at NoPro. One more regular episode of the year, and then we start going into our special programming starting, uh, next week. All right. Uh, and with that note, uh, we will see you on the feed tomorrow.